So, this year, there are a lot of things you could do. And there are a lot of things you will do. But there is one thing you must do. This one thing is different for each of us. But there is one thing, based on what's going on in your life, your relationships, your career, your faith, there is one thing that you need to do this year. And if you could figure it out, it would leave you in a radically better place a year from now. See, this one thing is probably something you've thought about. This one thing is something someone has said to you. This one thing is maybe even something you've tried already and it didn't quite work out. So what is your one thing? Here, here are a few ideas. Maybe it's a habit you need to break. You tell yourself and others that it's not a problem, but you know deep in your heart it is. Maybe it's a goal you need to accomplish. You've been putting it off, you tried and you failed before, you're scared to try it, but you know if you were to figure this thing out, it would change the quality of your life. Maybe it's a relationship you need to restore. You've had a falling out, and now your heart is filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. Or it's a debt you need to pay off. You've racked up that credit card debt, and it's scary, and you don't, you want, you don't want to deal with it because it means change, and change is hard. See, your thing may or may not have been on that list, but there is one thing for you. And wouldn't it be great if a year from now you had figured out your one thing, you had accomplished it, you had broken the chain of that addiction, and a year from now you could say, I am happier healthier and closer to God because I focused on my one thing. So I heard this idea back in 2012 from a sermon by Andy Stanley. And it really impacted me. Because see, that was around the same time that I, had, I was diagnosed with diabetes. And listening to this sermon first helped me lose my first 20 pounds and helped, helped me get my blood sugars, be, at least begin to get them under control a little better. And I've been wanting to preach this sermon ever since River Life launched five years ago. But I haven't. Why? Because I haven't been dealing with my one thing. And then finally, this past year, I stepped up and said, now's the time. I've got to deal with my one thing, which was my health and my weight. And so back in July, I joined a weight loss program, and I've lost some weight. I'm down about 25 pounds, and I'm shooting for another 25. And my life is better and will become better the more I look at my one thing. 
You see, that, that first Anley Stanley sermon that I heard seven, seven years ago so inspired me, I even created a little Lego set for it. And I had that little Lego set on my desk. Now, this doesn't mean anything to you right now, but it will in a few minutes. And so that's, that's my story and why, why I feel I can actually preach this message with integrity now. Because I haven't been ignoring my one thing. Will you ignore yours? So what is your one thing? And today, I want to introduce you to an Old Testament story that inspired me. And this Old Testament story, I hope, will inspire you. It's about a, a man by the name of Nehemiah. Comes out of the book that he wrote in the Old Testament. And we're going to start with chapter 1. So I want to introduce you to two of the, the first characters in this story. So there's Nehemiah and Artaxerxes. So, Nehemiah, he was an Israelite slave who was living in exile under the Persian king, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes was the king. He, he was around 450 BC. He reigned during that period. Right? And Persia was the dominant world force at the time. That's modern-day Iran. And Persia was the big dog in the area. So, Nehemiah was working for Artaxerxes. He was working as his cupbearer. Now, I know that sounds like a, kind of a fancy waiter, but really, it was, it was a high-ranking government official. He had a relationship with the king, and he had the trust of the king. And, and see, what's interesting about Nehemiah is he was an Israelite, but he had never been to Jerusalem. Because you see, about 100 years prior to this story, the Babylonians who were the big dogs at that time, they sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the city, tore down the temple, the city, the walls, just left the place in ruins, and then carted off a bunch of people as slaves. That's how Nehemiah's family ended up out in Persia. So here he was in Israel who had never been to Jerusalem. But he had heard stories. Stories got back to him on how bad it was there. The city was in really bad shape and the people were suffering. And this just broke his heart. So he decided to do a big thing. He prayed a huge prayer. You can read that in chapter 1. And then he approached the king and asked for time off. See, that's a big deal because slaves don't get time off. He wasn't an employee. But remarkably, King Artaxerxes said, yes. You want some time off? You got it. Not only that, I'm going to make you governor of that region called Judea. Not only that, I'm going to give you whatever you need to help your people. Lumber, animals, building supplies, whatever you need, it's yours. So with that blessing from God, Nehemiah set out for Jerusalem. So he went to Jerusalem, and, and here's what he found. It was a city in ruins. Most notably, the wall that protected the city was in crumbles. It, it had been torn down. 
And see, these city walls have been broken down for so long, remember, 100 years, that the people living there had never known a city whose walls had not been broken down. In many ways, it reminds me of the Hmong who, who were born in the refugee camps. Maybe some of your parents, some of your aunties and uncles. They, they had never been to the village. They had spent their entire life in the refugee camp. And because of that, that shaped their identity. It shaped what it meant to them to be Hmong. That's kind of like what it was for these, these Israelites, that not having a wall of safety around the city, that shaped their identity. That shaped a, a, a loss of national pride, a loss of safety, even a loss of God, feeling that God was no longer there, that they had been this way for so long, they had forgotten who they were as God's chosen people. They had lost their identity, their city, and their safety. Uh, Nehemiah was so moved by this, he spent a whole day and night walking through the city, talking to people, hearing the stories, hearing their pain. And after that time, he decided something. He said, if I do nothing else while I am here, I have to rebuild this wall around the city. I have to do that. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. They need an economy rebuilt, leadership in place, infrastructure repaired. There's a lot but the one thing I have to do is I have to build that wall. You can kind of think of it like Trump, but without the racist overtones. He had to build that wall to restore the safety and the identity of that city. So they began building, and they made progress. And that's when the problem started. You see, the leaders of the surrounding regions started to get concerned. They all gathered together and said, well, we can't just steal whatever we want now. Because the neighboring warlords, because there was no wall, they could just come and pillage whatever they want. And they're like, wait, if they get a wall up, we've just lost our source of income. And if they get a wall, they repair the city what if they start to build an army? They could actually be a threat to us. So all the neighboring leaders decided this thing has to stop. And so the leader of the opposition is the guy in the middle there named Sanballat. A little weird name. Parents, if you're pregnant right now, don't name your kid Sanballat. Name your dog, your lizard, whatever. Okay, that's just a weird name. Okay? But Sanballat. He was the leader of the opposition, and, and he, he, he led a region outside Jerusalem. So he started to figure out, what can I do to stop this from happening? So he tried a few things. First, he sent some spies. 
He sent some spies to infiltrate and try to discourage everybody from building. Didn't work. Then he actually sent armed forces. He actually sent armed forces to try to attack them. You know what Nehemiah and the crew did? They got off the wall, picked up their swords, and fought them off. That didn't work. They went back up on the, building, the wall. In fact, at one point they said they, they held the, a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. That's how serious it was. We have got to do this. This is our one thing. And they kept building the wall higher and higher. And Sam Ballot started getting worried. He, his plan wasn't working. They were still building the wall. So he tried a different strategy. He determined that if he could distract Nehemiah from his task, then the people would just start to get lazy and they would get distracted. And so, so they decided, he decided that he would set up a meeting with Nehemiah. Because we all know the best way to kill any productivity is have a meeting. So that's where we pick up the story now. And this is in chapter 6. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, breaches like holes in it, there's no holes left in it, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So, Nehemiah's up on his wall, working away. Sanballat sends a messenger with this note. Say, hey, let's get together. Let's have lunch. Have your people call my people. Let's get together. And then Nehemiah, he wasn't having any of that. He saw right through that ruse. And see, he knew right away because that town, Hecathirim, is in the plain of Ono which was outside Jerusalem. And that's the plane of, oh no, as in, come on down off the wall, oh no. <laughs> Have lunch with you, oh no. Stop my work, oh heck no. That was the plane of, oh no. He had nothing to do with that. He kept working. And here's what he said back to the messenger. Here was his message. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. You go tell Sanballat that I am doing a great work and I cannot come down, especially for you. Everyone, let's say that together. The one in yellow right there. Everyone, let's say that together. Ready? I am doing a great work and cannot come down. See, now you understand my Lego set. See, that's Nehemiah up on the top. He has the wrench because the Lego store didn't have hammers. That's Sam Ballot down at the bottom. He has a little Egyptian garb, but that's all they had. He's got a little axe. And I rode across the Legos. I'm doing a great work and cannot come down. See, there's something in your life Right now, there is a wall in your life that you need to climb up on top of and say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. There is one thing in your life 
where you need to stand up on this wall and keep at it and say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. No matter what comes your way, no matter what obstacle, no matter what trap, no matter what temptation, no matter what discomfort, no matter what sacrifice, when they come, you have one thing to say. I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Every one of you has that one thing in your life. And so, for the next few minutes, I want to poke and prod you a little bit. Because I do not want you to walk out of here saying, oh, what a nice sermon. That was great. No. I want you to walk out of here with a clear, undeniable message of God from God to say, this is my one thing for this year. There are things I, I might do. There are things I will do. This is the one thing I have to do. So I'm going to poke and prod a little bit and make you a little uncomfortable. So what is your one thing? So for some of you, like me, it's your health. You've been ignoring the signs for too long. You don't want to go to the doctor. You're not making appointments because you don't want to know the results. And you say, you, you, you'll do it tomorrow, you'll do it next week, you'll do it after the next deadline. I know all of that because I was all of that. I still am all of that. So over these past six months, a lot of people have asked me like, how I've lost weight. And I mentioned that, that I, I joined a weight loss program. Because this time around, I concluded I needed some help. I couldn't do it on my own. And some of you, some of you need help. You need to reach out to a doctor, to a clinic, to a mental health professional. You need to pony up some money, cancel your Netflix, cancel your Spotify, eat lunch and dinner from home, spend some money and get some help. That's some of you. Now, others of you, Others of you, maybe it's a habit you need to break. Some of you drink too much. I know, I'm on Facebook, I see it. <laughs> you wanna know how you can tell you drink too much? If you've ever had someone tell you you drink too much. It is that complicated. You know why that's true? Because that person didn't say anything the first time they wanted to say something. They didn't say anything the second time they were concerned about you. And it took all of their courage. They mustered up everything they could to tell you, I'm worried about you. I think you have a drinking problem. That's how I know. If you have ever had someone tell you you have a drinking problem, you have a drinking problem. Some of you need to admit that you're powerless over alcohol and that your life has become unmanageable. Some of you need to stop hanging out with some friends 
And some of you need to stop being a lousy Christian friend because your drinking buddies are in this church. Some of you drink too much. And that is your one thing. Maybe it's a drug addiction. Prescription or otherwise. You're still taking the meds even though the injury ended, got better long ago. And some of you are hooked by now. And you need to get some help. Maybe it's porn. And it's been a part of your life for so long, you don't even know what to do at this point. There are all kinds of addictive habits you could have. From smoking, to gaming, to shopping, social media, gambling, eating, any of those, and any number of other ones. And maybe you have an addictive habit. That is your one thing. I'm going to get you started today. You know what you do? Tell someone. Start by telling someone. Take what is hidden in the shadows and bring it into the light. And trust me, it gets a whole lot easier after that. It's not easy, but it gets easier. So for some of you, your one thing is about relationships. Married couples, some of you need to put down your phone when the other person is talking to you. You need to start nurturing that relationship. You need to start living out some of the vows you promised years or even months ago. Singles, some of you all need to stop obsessing about getting married. Stop making the jokes. Stop giving people a hard time. One consistent thing I hear from every, every single, single person is, oh, I'm so tired of people asking me when I'm going to get married. And then you know what single people do to other single people? Joke and pressure them to get married. Some of you need to learn Paul's peace. Some of you need to learn Paul's contentment in all circumstances. Dating couples. Some of you need to stop sleeping together. That's just sin, y'all. There's no way around it. Yeah, it means maybe you can't spend the night whenever you want to. Or go on vacations together. Some of you might need to even move out. Because you're live, living against the way God has meant singleness and marriage to be. And you know it. Maybe that's what your one thing this year. Dads, some of you need to start nurturing a stronger bond with your daughters. Moms, you need to do the same with your sons. You need to put the work down, the phone down, and play and read to them. Help them with their homework. Maybe your kids are your one thing this year because you know you are not putting in the time and the love and the energy and the heart that you should be. 
or maybe it's in relationships, maybe it's your pride, your anger, your anxiety, your hypocrisy. All of those things are hurting the relationships of people you love. And you need to get that under control. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, it's your faith. You're just going through the motions. You call yourself a Christian, but you have no discernible, personal, growing, vibrant relationship with God. To you, being a Christian is about doing things. Coming to church, trying to be good, praying before meals. And that's about it. Some of you need to, need to make church a priority. You get here once, twice a week, I mean, once, twice a month, and that's the best you've got for God. Church is just not a priority. Some of you, some of you are not spending personal time with God. You're living off other people's faith. You're living off church. You're living off Christian music or YouTube sermons. You need to start building your own faith. And some of you, some of you are living hypocritically. Your lives are full of sin, but on Sunday morning, you got that good old Christian smile happening. And that duality that you're living is destroying you. Maybe that's your one thing. So what is your one thing? Maybe you're thinking, one thing, man, I got like four or five things. Where do I start? Just start with one. Just pick one. One thing. See, you pick your one thing, then you climb up on your wall. And you say, I am not coming down. You pick your one thing and say, I am doing a great work this year. I cannot come down. I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care how, how it hurts people. I don't care what my parents say about me. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. You need to climb up on your wall and not climb down till it's done. Now, to close, I want to tell you the rest of Nehemiah's story. See, there's more to it than what I shared earlier. See, his enemies kept trying to stop him. They sent more messengers, and he gave the same response each time. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. They sent more messengers. Or they, 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 tried, they spread rumors about him. They even tried to get King Artaxerxes to pull him from Judea. But every time, Nehemiah stood his ground. He stayed on that wall. And said, I will not come down. I am doing a great work. 
Nothing would divert him from his one thing. And see, when you get your one thing and you start to focus on your one thing, you are going to get opposition. You might even have enemies who will try to distract you. Enemies from within and enemies from without. You might have friends who will start spreading rumors about you. You'll have family members who will criticize you. You you'll, might have to spend money, lose comfort, spend time. There will be obstacles. That is guaranteed. But what are you going to do when you face those obstacles? You're going to stand on your wall and say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. That is what you're going to do when you face those obstacles. So Nehemiah and his team, they finished their wall in 52 days. That is less than two months. Mindoc can't even repair a freeway in less than two months. And these guys built an entire wall around a city. And what's amazing is this one accomplishment started a chain reaction of events that happens through the book of Nehemiah that ends with a great revival and restoration of God's people. It's an amazing picture. And I believe that all of that can be traced back to one thing. Climbing on that wall and saying, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. Imagine if at any obstacle, Nehemiah said, Oh, yeah, I can take a break. Imagine what might have happened to God's people. But that one decision, that one act, carried with it implications that lasted for generations. We are even still beneficiaries of the line of Israel. So your one thing, your relentless focus has such widespread implications for you and your life. You will have obstacles. You will face people and things that will try to kill you. And then some health issues, it could actually kill you. But... When you stand strong, when you say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down, that will ripple and echo for years and generations. You too can bring revival and restoration to your life, to your heart, to your family. To your kids, to your parents. All because in 2020, 
You let God give you one thing. And you said, I'm going to commit to that. See, 2020 is going to end. In about 360 days, it will end. And the only question is, will your one thing be something in your past or your future? Will your one thing bring revival and restoration to you and your family and your loved ones and your career and your faith? Or will your one thing still be there, bringing you the chains of addiction, failure, suffering, pain, and broken relationships? Where do you want to be a year from now? So here, I want everyone to stand up. Stand up. Do you have something in mind? Do you have one thing in mind? Okay. You are standing up on your wall today. And you're going to say, we all say it together. We're going to practice here. We all say it. Here we go. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. One more time. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. When it starts to get hard, you say, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. When it costs money and comfort, you say, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. When you remember that God has revival and restoration in store for you this year, you say, I am doing a great work, and cannot come down. Join me in prayer. God, you have a great work for every person in here. You have a great work in store for me. And you have a great work in store for River Life. God, help us. We cannot accomplish our great work without you. We will fail like we have many times before. But with your power, with your spirit, with your grace, let us live this year with relentless focus. God, that if, I pray for every person here that if, if you have not impressed on them their one thing for this year, do that now. Open up people's hearts, tear down the, the walls, soften the stone hearts. Let people hear you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.